Black Lives Matter. She is a super geek as a proud member of the Misdirected Mark Network. Episode 139 is brought to you by our patron, Kevin Brown. listening to She's a Super Geek, the actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Hey everyone, I'm Andy, and on today's episode, it's just you and me. That's right, I am playing a solo game. If you're like me, you often want to play more games than you either have time to or are able to gather a group for. We're excited to have Zoom, of course, but there's still a lot of games you can play by yourself. Today's game is called Soul by James Mullen. The premise is that you have left the world behind on an almost fully automated one-person spacecraft with the mission to scout the galaxy and see what's out there. The craft records everything of scientific nature on its sensors, and your job is to provide the human touch with commentary on how each discovery makes you feel. We do have a few content warnings for this. Isolation, death of a parent, and a PTSD-like flashback that deals with war and the death of a family member when the character was a child. This game can be played on a day-by-day basis or occasionally via a blog or a vlog. Today I'm going to do, I think, maybe an audio recording of a transmission. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to play this game because I've been watching a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation, along with Misdirected Mark and a lot of our fans. Tonight, if you're listening to this podcast on the day it drops, is the finale of Star Trek TNG. We will start a DS9 watch party. That's Deep Space Nine, if you're not into the Star Trek lingo. Next week or the week after. You can find more information at forums.misdirectedmark.com. For each day, I will be rolling to see what I encounter and generating three random words to help me describe it. If you want to know what those prompts were, you can go to sasgeek.com and check out the show notes. Otherwise, have fun guessing. Hello, Pluto Station. This is Mercedes Howard reporting from the Gerardi. It is day eight of being out of hypersleep, which was mostly comfortable, as I have told you before. Today, the ship is looking out onto an asteroid belt. Now, I know that I was told not to name things, but I do like naming things and just calling things very generically, I feel like could get very confusing. So I'm going to call this asteroid belt, I'm going to call it the serial asteroid belt because the asteroids uh, kind of look like different pieces of breakfast cereal, which is probably not the most scientific way of naming things. But then again, They didn't send a scientist (laughs) to record their feelings. The science is all being done, of course, by the ship, and that's really cool. The reason I want to call it the serial asteroid belt is, as I said, because it looks like different pieces of breakfast cereal. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I ate cereal pretty much every morning for breakfast, except on Saturdays when my moms would make pancakes. So that was a special Saturday treat. But every other day, I ate cereal. And there are shapes of these asteroids. Some of them look like O's and have holes in the middle. Some of them have craters and crevices, and they look like they might be, you know, uh, Cocoa Krispies or other sorts of chocolate cereal. And they have some, some different interesting features almost as if I, I'm looking through this and some pieces are are cereal and some are marshmallows. And I can't quite tell if like 
maybe the ones that look like marshmallows are farther away. Maybe there's some sort of filtering that the system uh, is doing to save my eyes from something that's out here. And um, (laughs) this is so weird. I'm just sitting here talking to myself. I never had any trouble talking to myself uh, when I was in orbit in Saturn, but talking to myself while recording (laughs) feels feels kind of weird. So, um, sorry, Pluto Station. Um, so some pieces do look like like marshmallows, and they do look sort of iridescent, different colors, and not necessarily fluffy, but there is sort of a little, a little, I would assume, glow to them, which is kind of what makes them look like they might be softer. Now, I know if I crashed into one, it's probably plenty hard and we shouldn't do that. And thankfully, the ship is smart enough not to do that. But that is what I am seeing. And honestly, it makes me feel really homesick. I've been really distracted this far into the mission, obviously in hypersleep. And then the past week, I have been, you know, double checking everything, going over the checklists, making, you know, notes and and logs and feeling um, very capable. And right now, I just feel, I feel really alone. And maybe just a little bit guilty. I agreed to do this mission a little more than a year after my mama died. And while my my mom is doing pretty well, I mean, they're not, you know, the the youngest starfish in the sea, um, but they they were they were ready. Mama had a um, really prolonged illness. Um, but mom, was prepared and she seemed to be doing well. But now out here, I can't help but wonder exactly how long I was asleep for and whether or not mom is okay and waiting for me back home. I didn't think about until just now that she might die while I'm out here. And so it seeing all of this serial asteroids makes me feel homesick and a little scared. And I miss both of them a lot. And I just hope there's somebody waiting for me when I get home. This is Mercedes Howard journeying onwards. Hello, Pluto Station. It's day 17 of my journey. Again, I'm Mercedes Howard, in case you haven't been listening or are listening to this, I guess, out of sequence. I'm, I'm a little stunned right now. There, the, sh- the ship, of course, has these incredible sensors, and it has taken us slightly off course to view something I never thought that I would see. There is an eclipse happening on one of the planets, but it's an alignment of their two moons eclipsing their their sun. And it is so cool. When I think of two moons, of course, I might think of Star Wars. And that's the only time I've seen anything like this is in is in movies. And it is just it is just so beautiful. And I know that this might take me off course and that I might be back a bit late. And I know that there was some controversy about whether or not to let the ship do that. But I am so glad that everybody who argued that the ship should be able to do that could. I am just filled with incredible, incredible wonder. Eclipses on Earth are rare and they're cool and everything, but this is, I mean, this is not just a total eclipse of the sun, but a total eclipse with, with two moons and a sun. I don't even know if there's a name for this. And the, the planet, which I haven't 
we haven't actually landed on because that was something that some scientists lost. I'm not supposed to land anywhere. So I, I'm seeing it from some different angles. I was able to see it from up near the moons as the other one sort of slid into alignment. And I, I now I'm looking at it from, you know, very, very close to the ground looking up and the, the, the air, maybe the uh, the atmosphere, seems purple. I can't think of another name for it. For it, and of course, I can't like go out and feel it. Uh, the ship is telling me that I would die instantly if I tried to go outside. And while I do have a spacesuit suit for emergencies, I don't particularly want to have to use it. As uh, particularly for this, I wouldn't be able to feel it anyway if I was in a space space suit. But it, it kind of looks like how I think the color purple would feel if it was a feeling. It's kind of deep and impressive, but almost maternal and cradling. And for the first time, I'm really realizing that me, <laughs> that I am in this I'm this sort of pioneering nomad out amongst the the stars where nobody else has ever been. And it's overwhelming. It is so overwhelming. And of course, I mean, I did plenty of study before this and the ship has lots of data, but I don't even know how to look to 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 look up something like if there's a name for this event or you know maybe they're going to name it after me since I'm the first person who saw it not that that really matters although that would be really cool and i'm wondering after just 17 days we have a lot more to go i i'm wondering if i'm going to be able to to keep my sanity i'm looking at all of these incredible things that I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to explain verbally. And even, you know, there I'm keeping a handwritten journal with like little sketches, but they're nothing compared to, of course, the pictures that the ship is taking, I'm, I'm sure. But I don't know. I don't know what this feeling is. I, I know that if you question whether or not you're sane that is a good indicator that you are. And of course I had training uh, in, you know, in being isolated for so long and um, we, I had practice, um, but it, it's different when you're isolated, you know, on a space station and, and you know that you're just after it going to get to go home and there's been no sort of time warp or anything because I know when I get back, it will have been much longer for everybody else than for me. And I think I'm, I know I'm going to be okay with it. But to not be able to share experiences like this with someone, experiences that are like, this is how the color purple feels. I mean, I just, I don't know how I'm going to be able to express that. I'm doing my best and I'll continue doing my best. So until the next event, this is Mercedes Howard journeying onwards. This is day 23. This is Mercedes Howard. Uh, hello. Hello, Pluto Station. I know a lot of my logs have talked about how I don't know how to say certain things, and, and this is... I'm just... I don't know what happened. I don't know if I'm losing my mind. We are only 23 days into this. But I just... There was this weird... There was this weird thing that the ship decided to look at closer, and it almost looked like... Just uh, not not a not a black hole. I mean, we've we I've seen pictures of those, and obviously we're not supposed to go anywhere near them, uh, because then we'd be lost, and you wouldn't get any of this data or anything like that. But it was almost a void in space, where there were no stars or or anything like that.
and like that. There were no other lights. It was just void. And the ship took me into it. I kind of wish they'd given me some sort of kill switch um, or at least some sort of, of, of permission asking thing where the ship could say, hey, are you okay with this? Because I probably would have said, no, I'm not. Like, note that and just... When we get another, when we get other ships out here with better equipment and whatnot, like you can just, you know, look into it then. But I... so we went into it, whatever this void was, and I was a child again. I wasn't in the ship. I was back on earth i was there for my for my great grandmother's funeral and it was in in the town where mama had grown up and um it was the first time i had been to earth so it was amazing and overwhelming and maybe kind of felt like I I do now. Maybe it's these feelings that are bringing it up. And it was, it was during, it was during the civil war. We were supposed to be in a safe space. We were supposed to be in a place that was not being touched, but of course it's, you know, modern warfare. So they're, is no place on earth that couldn't be touched. And um, after the, after the service, we were gathered together in um, a family villa and, and um, I slipped out. And um, my uncle Alfred saw me. And he, he didn't try to stop me. He just said, remember that the curfew is, is 8 p.m. And I was like, yeah, okay, 20 hundred hours. I'll be back by then. And I don't know what he thought I was doing. I don't know what I thought I was doing, but I was walking and I, I went to the graveyard where we had just buried someone. And the the grave had already been astroturfed. You couldn't even tell that it was a fresh grave. And it was so strange. And, and, and I didn't have a big connection to this person, but it was still, you know, the first time I had seen death. Or, or, or really experienced the death of, of a family member. And I was curious and scared. And I just sat on the fresh astroturf. And I just looked at all of the, the different grave markers. There were a lot that were really retro. Um, even some that were just made out of stone they were crumbling of course you couldn't even read the names on on many of them and i just i didn't hear the curfew ring and i didn't know what the sun you know what the sun should look like at the right time and everything and i realized when it was just totally dark that I had probably missed curfew. And I wasn't thinking of, of many things while I was there. I was sort of just, I was there and, 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 and just feeling all of these, these feelings. And I heard, I heard them coming. Like I said, this was supposed to be a safe place. And so I, I ran. 
I ran as fast as I could, faster than I ever have. And I ran straight back to the family villa where Uncle Alfred was there waiting for me, looking very, very worried. He hadn't allowed them to to lock the door, even though it was curfew. And, I mean, I know he could have gone to jail for that, but the the odds of something happening, again, were, were really small, but he saw them too, and he ushered me in, and the rest of my family was already down in the basement, and um, they thought I was, they thought I was somewhere, uh, you know, this wasn't a small space, this was a pretty big compound, um, and I went into the basement with everybody, and we were all okay. We had each other. And the next morning, when we went out and we saw where the bombs had been dropped and the different places that had been destroyed, one of them was was the graveyard. And I wasn't scared because I had been there and if I hadn't ran as fast as I could, I might have died. Um, although, of course, as an adult looking back, that's what I probably should have been scared of. I was really sad that that was a resting place for for a family member, for several generations of family members. And that was a place we couldn't get back. You know, there's a lot of buildings that if they get knocked down, we can just rebuild them and it's also really hard because I know how precise I know how precisely those bombs were how precisely you could make them and so the thought that you would target you know the homes of of government officials sure you're in a war but the fact that somebody actually thought and targeted just the town's graveyard was just horrible to me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine someone who had lost a family member and who had been to a funeral and buried them, saying, "We should destroy that kind of a place for another family." And um, we didn't, we didn't stay. We left that day. Uh, we left to go back home. And I don't know what would have happened if we had stayed. The town was safe for the rest of the rest of the Civil War. Um, and when things had calmed down, I thought that maybe we would go back. But, but Mama said that it wasn't, it wasn't a home anymore because it didn't feel safe. I mean, I re-experienced all of that. And I, I, I mean, I, I know and I've read about like post-traumatic stress disorder, but I was evaluated by people who are coming on this and I, I, I didn't have it. I've never relived an experience like that. It was just in this void. All of a sudden, I was this small girl. And I was in that graveyard and I was running, uh, running away from it. And I was, you know being held in the arms of my mom's in the basement of my family's villa. And I was looking out at the destroyed and decimated graveyard, um, so precisely bombed that the fence, the iron wrought fence still stood. And I remember getting on the shuttle and 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 the feeling of waving goodbye to my uncle. I don't know if that is truly something that happened like I re-experienced it. I don't know if this was if this was some sort of of 
time jump? And if it was, why would it take me back there? And then why would it redeposit me back exactly where I was? Um, I don't know if it's something that happened in my head. I just don't know. All right, Pluto Station, this is Mercedes Howard journeying onwards. Hello, uh, Pluto Station. This is Mercedes Howard coming to you from the Girardi, and I have had something incredible happen. I don't, I, I've seen things around the ship that look like little iridescent sort of winks of, of I don't know if they were of, of matter or space dust or, or, or something, and the, the sensors haven't really been able to figure out what they were either. And today, one of the, the sort of little pinpoints of iridescent light came into the spacecraft. It just like completely phased through the wall. And I was freaking out because I'm like, this is how I'm going to die. But no, it was, it, it was an animal uh, 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 of some sort. Maybe animal isn't the right idea. It was an interstellar life form. Like an actual creature that lives that lives in space, and it and and it sort of formed into its shape in front of me, and it looked like like a I don't know what to say like a a, a bird jellyfish thing with like a dog tail almost. Um, not like the long golden retriever ones, like the short little pug ones, and. It was so beautiful, but it was, it was making these little cries and, and I don't, I don't know why, but I just knew that it was in pain somehow. And so I, I looked at it and I didn't know if I should touch it or not. And all these things went through my head, like, oh, if it's a baby and I touch it, will it smell humans? And then the, the parents won't take it back. And I'm like, but they don't know what humans smell like. I'm the first human that's ever been out here. And so I, I put on gloves because, you know, I broke into the emergency supplies and thought, okay, let's put on gloves. And, and um, tried to lift this creature creature up. And it made this tiny little squeak like a bat. And it felt almost like that slime that kids play with, like almost like it was going to fall through my fingers, like it was almost liquid, but not. And I, 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 I put it on, you know, a flat surface and I, I just kind of was like, hey, buddy, I don't know what's wrong, but I really want to help. I think that you might have made a mistake coming in here. And, and maybe others are going to come and, like, make you leave or something, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to help. And um, blood or fluid of any kind. So, you know, I, I didn't know if this was a, a wound or, or a sickness or something, and I didn't know what to do. And I went back in my mind through all the emergency training I had had. Of course, it was for for humans, so I didn't know how it would respond to this jelly, jelly fish, cat, dog, bird. That sounds like a bat. And... Uh, I, 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 I started running my fingers very gently over its fur-like skin or skin-like fur it, it, it was it was kind of like the bristle on a pig and but you couldn't really see it but I could feel it I could feel it and I tried to communicate because I thought if this is a sentient being this is the first alien sentient being you know that that humankind has ever made contact with and that's so cool but it it I don't think it is I think it is a, a non-sentient some sort of interstellar being and I I started singing to it because what else do you do <laughs> When you don't know what else to do, right? Like you, I just started singing. Um, 
and it liked it. It kind of chirped. Um, and I saw there was this iridescent wing paw that didn't seem to have any claws on it. It had like three and a half of them. Like the tail might have been one, but there were at least three. And I was like, okay, you use these to like sail through space. Like that's, that's super cool. Uh, I don't know why you need them. And then I was like, of course, they need to somehow build momentum when they're in space. Duh. But then the momentum just keeps them going. And there was this... That was lodged in... Someplace. I don't know. A mouth, an ear. Some sort of opening. It probably threw off however this creature navigates... I mean, that's my very general guess. And so I, you know, I got out the the little tweezers and I, I very, very gently, you know, tried to, to pull it out. And it was some sort of, of rock. You know, at least I can identify what a rock is. I don't know what it's made out of or anything. It's right here. I still have it. I'm going to bring it home. And it doesn't weigh too much, so it's not going to throw off any of the equations based on weight. And this little thing just, like, it shook its head, I think. And and then it just kind of examined me. Again, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was looking at me. I couldn't tell if it had eyes. But it definitely sized me up. And I just looked at it and I was like, friend, I know that you don't understand me and that you don't understand uh, or don't know at least the, the stories of my people. But there's a story of a very powerful lion who gets a thorn in its, its paw and a little mouse takes it out and there's this you know, huge thing about how even the smallest creatures can make a big difference. And I, I don't know what I just did, but I'm really, really hoping that I am a mouse to your lion, that whatever you are going through, I just somehow made your life just a tiny bit better. And it winked at me, not with its eye, it like winked out in and out of light in and out of existence maybe um maybe it did that phase shifting thing and left it just flew out i was like oh god you're gonna hit the wall and then of course it didn't hit the wall because it's an interstellar being and apparently it can phase through what i consider matter like solid matter and i just i don't know what to do with any of this information obviously there are going to be a bunch of pictures the ship has everything of this on file, but I mean, I am just, oh my gosh, I am just so exhausted <laughs> from, from the worry and the, the anticipation and the not knowing what this was. I just, oh my gosh, I made contact with an alien life form. I touched it. It was Kind of the consistency of jello, which is gross, but also so beautiful. I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. And this, this rock, I'm going to put it into the ship so that it can figure out like what it's made out of and everything. And I'm going to tell it to, to keep it, to put it into the stores, uh, the storage, because it is gathering up little things like that. But maybe I won't actually, maybe, maybe I'm going to keep it. Maybe I'm just going to keep it for myself. Not forever. I'll let the scientists look at it. Okay. <laughs> but that's what happened to me today. This is Mercedes Howard journeying onwards. This is Mercedes Howard, Pluto Station. Hi, it's day 42. And you know the, 
the old joke that 42 is the answer to everything. <laughs> um, well, I guess that only makes sense if you've read those books or seen those movies or whatever. But anyway, I don't know if this is the answer to everything, but I feel, I feel very, very strongly the sensor picked up an Earth-type planet. Something that is possible for colonization, like on-the-surface colonization. The computer has named it SO428391. Wait, 42, that's the day we're on. Oh, duh, the computer's categorizing stuff by the day. That makes a lot of sense, but how many things is it categorized today? Holy cow. Anyway, this planet, from, from far away, looks like a creamy brown color. And you get closer to it, and you can see actually that that is some of the some of the atmosphere you know the atmospheric gases make it look that way far away but up close it it looks i don't want to say very similar to earth but it looks similar to earth there are some lush green places there seem to be some more desert places and all of the readings have come back that it is livable for humans, that it has water and it has the correct oxygen content and, I mean, just everything. And so I'm looking at this planet and I'm like, is this the next home of humanity? Is this the next place that we are going to live and that future generations will call home? And so even though the computer has already named it, I think I would very much at least like to request that this planet is named after my mama. Um, her real name was Maya. And I, I realized that like there was an ancient Mayan civilization and like that might be confusing, but um, I, I thought that like planet pancake sounded silly. <laughs> And as I, I think I've said before, pancakes make me think of home. Um, and I think it would be uh, a great tribute uh, to her and um, how, how, how she made every place feel like home, no matter where we moved. One, uh, one thing the computer noted is that it is very humid on the planet in most places, and that sounds horrible. Uh, I've never lived in a place with any humidity because I've you know, lived on space stations basically my entire life. But it is a great possibility, and I am really, really excited about this. And there, there seem to be different continents and oceans and and according to the computer, at least, like, the likelihood of these oceans being drinkable for humans is very high. And even if it's not, like, you know, we can purify water, whatever. I would be so excited. I would be so excited if one day that planet was my home. This is Mercedes Howard journeying onwards. Hello, Pluto Station. This is Mercedes Howard. It's day 50. We're curving back. We are on our way home. But I have really wanted to take a closer look at that planet. And so I did find a way to ask the ship, hey, could we go back? Or, or, or circle around, you know, I, I know that it doesn't want to do anything redundant, but it agreed. Or, I, I, I don't know, its systems were like, sure, <laughs> it sounds like agreed. Um, back to what I called Planet Maya, after my mama. And the ship was interested in it because it is a possibility for colonization, and... Part of our orders, or 
project or whatever were to go and to find out where, if anywhere, was was space for humanity. And so we we dropped through the atmosphere. We didn't land, of course, that's against the rules. We're not supposed to actually land, but we were hovering over the surface and we caught we 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 came down at this place and I don't know exactly of course why the ship chose this particular place but it was an inlet from the sea and it almost looked like it was bubbling like there was maybe something fermenting there I don't know uh, it might have been some sort of life form and and you know them them breathing or or some chemical reaction I don't know but it was so it was really cool. I know I've used the term cool to describe a lot of things, but this was was like, you know, here is this this foaming water, and I have expected Aphrodite to to rise out of the water on a, a seashell and and you know bless the planet, and you know people appeared, and obviously, I mean, I know that's not going to happen, <laughs> but it was kind of like something out of out of those old poetic mythology books, those, those old lyrical, uh, lyrical, oh, what were they called? Epics, lyrical epics. But that, that wasn't even close to the most interesting thing. We flew around and, you know, I saw there were several different, um, there were several different unique biomes and, you know, probably different ecosystems within them all. We did catch glimpses of some animal life, but they seemed to be very small. They registered to the ship as as reptilian or as uh, fish. So if this if this world is similar to Earth and is evolving the similar to the way Earth evolved, it should be very early in its evolution. I mean, we're talking billions of years ago from where Earth is. And yet, we flew up on these mountains. These navy blue mountains. I thought at first, like, maybe they were silhouetted or or it was a distortion, but no, the the rocks are navy blue. And there was a structure partway up the mountain. Not a natural structure, like a built structure. And I did what I was told never to do. I put on my spacesuit and I went out there. And the readings all said it would be fine, but I was... I, I don't know. I was still a little scared, so I kept the spacesuit on, um, most mo- mostly. I don't know. I don't know what this thing was made out of. I don't know if it was wood or metal or stone, but it was smooth, and it was different hues of blue. I think that they used they must have they must have used stuff from just a, a, around there because there was a lot of of blue of blue things um a lot of blue, different kinds of blue flora there were some giant blue trees and I know I'm saying blue a lot but but imagine like every shade of blue from like robin's egg blue to like a dark teal to to midnight blue and it was beautiful it was smooth it was perfectly formed to each other and so I don't know if this was the work of of some sort of people or or some sort of machine, maybe. But I went, I went in. It wasn't shaped like anything I'd seen before. I have no idea what this purpose, what the purpose of this place is. There wasn't anything. There, 
there wasn't anything like material or not I mean obviously it was material but like there wasn't anything that was like covered in fabric or or anything like that like there were what looked like natural seating that came um that came up from the floor in some places and there were some big rooms and there were some small rooms and there was a room that had running water and I'm like how is there running water like I, I, there must, I mean, we're up a mountain, right? So it might be coming down. It might be moving down from the mountain. Uh, that would, that would make the most sense. And so obviously it had to have some sort of aqueduct system, probably. And there was a giant room. And if I was casting a movie um, or, you know, I was direct- if I was directing a movie, like, this is where I would put the, like, the grand ball scene. I don't know if it was a ballroom or not, but it had these, these pillars that were, like, onyx black and intricately carved with, with, I don't know if they were random designs or if they were hieroglyphics or symbols or something, but they were intricately carved. And you really had to look closely or even put your fingers on it to sort of see the details because it was so, so dark. And yes, I took my glove off. And once I took my glove off, I took the rest of the suit off. I was obviously I'm fine. I'm back in the ship. We're we're flying back. But um, it was amazing. It was like nothing I've ever ever felt before. The air was a little sweet. It, it had sort of not just sweet, but almost like um, an umami flavor in the back of my throat, and I could smell water or humidity or or, or something. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't horribly humid, um, which was you know great, but. It also wasn't dry. And there were raised platforms and there were, were, were windows and there were what looked like, I don't know, like sculpted ladders. And I, 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 I took as many photos as I could. Um, trying to explain this experience is almost impossible. Like, compared to everything else I've described, like, this is the most impossible. This this is proof that there is other sentient life. Now, the place felt abandoned. Of course. And I don't know if it has been abandoned... Uh, or what reason it would be abandoned, or if it is a temporary thing and, 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 and some people or thing is coming back. Uh, the corridors were all very big and spacious, and so, I, I, I mean, there's a possibility that these are sentient... I mean, the way this thing is designed, it has to be a sentient creature or creatures, but it could be a lot bigger than us or a lot smaller than us, more likely bigger because I mean every everything felt sort of a little bit too big for me. Um, <laughs> my entire life, I have known that there was something out there. I've known that there was something bigger than us. That there was something not not physically bigger than us, although they might be, but that there that we were not alone. And we might be alone now but we 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 have we haven't always been alone we're not alone in the sense of we are the only sentient creatures in the entire galaxy there is or at least there was other sentient creatures other you know i would call them people whether or not they're humans that doesn't matter there was some sort of sentient people on this planet and if I make it back, I, I am coming here to colonize this place. I have tasted 
the air. I wasn't stupid enough to try and drink or eat anything. But I have tasted the air and I have felt the rocks. And I have smelled the the coolness and freshness of the running water. And I have heard the movement of wind through the trees. It was almost... It was almost operatic. Like, like there were so many different conversations happening around me that I could barely focus on one, and I didn't understand any of them. It was very much like, like watching an opera in a language I didn't understand. Like there were, were conversations, like there was something calling. And I don't know if it was just my imagination or if it was echoes of whoever these people were or are but I have never been so excited in my entire life and so I know you're going to get these logs before I get back so y'all better be preparing (laughs) y'all better be preparing to colonize this place because you'll receive some of the science stuff too so start making preparations because I'm probably just going to turn around and go right back. That, that place on planet Maya, that's my home. I genuinely felt, even though I'd never been there before, like I was home. This is Mercedes Howard heading back to Pluto Station. We hope you enjoyed episode 139 of She's a Super Geek. I really enjoyed playing this game. Again, this was Soul by James Mullen, and you can find a link to the game in our show notes at sasgeek.com. And if you liked what you heard, which I'm hoping you did because you listened to me for 50 minutes talking to myself, you can go to your favorite podcatcher of choice and give us a five-star rating and review. We would really appreciate it. Our theme song is Rock and Roll Play Baby by Kieran Strange. You can find more music, tour dates, and merchandise online, kieranstrange.com, or on Twitter at Kieran Strange. One quick note for those of you who are listening uh, this far. The final log was supposed to end with the character saying, this is name coming home. But based on the character arc that happened and how strongly Mercedes felt about this new planet being her home, I didn't think that it was actually appropriate to call that place home. Join us in two weeks for our next adventure.